1: Hey, bum, but bum, bum. Welcome back, people. This is Homesteads and Homeschools, the podcast, and I am your host, the Liberty Heavy, here with you for week number eighty-six, rocking and rolling, getting getting closer to, to one hundred every week. Actually, I think today is the one hundredth episode. Um, maybe it was last week. I don't remember. But either way, uh, my guest today is uh, Sean Dombrowski. He's up uh, out uh, upstate, western sort of New York. And he has a lot to say, a lot of good stuff to say about uh, permaculture and uh, food forests. And we had a pretty good discussion about that and just some, some things to think about when you're driving around, when you're walking through the, the woods, when you're paying attention to your natural surroundings and, and seeing what nature has to offer and, and trying to mimic that and how those systems uh, can fare better than what what we want nature to do right? Sometimes it works better to do what is sort of already in place than uh, force your will on on something else. Sean's a a YouTuber. He's at a a website and a nursery. I'll put all those links in the show notes and I will tell you now so you can remember it's Edible Acres. So it's edibleacres.org and uh, you can find them on YouTube as well. Like I said, that's about it for now. We're going to get going right into this. So uh, let's go plant those Seeds of Liberty with my guest, Mr. Sean Dombrowski. today my my guest is uh mr sean dombroski from uh th- did i say that right sean yes we, we just talked about it but i uh i you know it's early and i, I likely <laughs> messed nice. it up but so uh sean is from a wonderful little place called edible acres um because some of you might be be familiar with him over on on youtube at a pretty prolific youtube there but um Yeah, I wanted Sean to come on today and tell us about his, his setup, but I think he's got some, some interesting ideas on the the permaculture side, on the, um, edible perennial side, the food forest side of things that, uh, I don't know, really, it's really curious to me. Um, I like those, those ideas. So anyway, Sean, thank you for, uh, coming on today bright and early and, uh, getting this, getting this going. I appreciate it.
0: My pleasure.
1: So, um, you're you're up in New York. Did you grow up um, like gardening and stuff, or was this yeah. later in life you decided to jump in?
0: Well, a little bit of a mix. I I actually grew up. I was uh, well, I was born in Manhattan, and then my folks moved to suburban, quote unquote, northern New Jersey when I was a little kid. But it was a pretty densely populated area in Bergen County, um, so. By all accounts, it was you know not a farming community or a growing community, but my mom, as a little kid would just uh it wasn't like she was being radical about it. she would think it was more just being practical. she would put gardens everywhere on our little lot it was like a quarter acre or smaller mm-hmm. you know standard guard, standard lawn lot, and so there'd be sunflowers growing out of the cracks between the the pavement and zucchini sprawling all over. And so I I had that exposure as a little kid and that that image stuck with me into adulthood for sure.
1: Nice. You ever ever get the neighbors calling, calling, I don't know, somebody down on you, sunflowers are too tall or it's not enough long? I think... think Before that, that time.
0: Yeah, I think people grumbled about it, but more than any, the people that were the people that we paid attention to were the folks. You know, there was a couple that were from Sicily, and she, and she was so thrilled that there were eggplants growing along the sidewalk that she could harvest for to cook with. You know, it's like reminded her of home. So, the people that didn't like it, I guess they're not they're not as interesting or as memorable <laughs> as the people that did.
1: <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. So, uh, when did you when did you end up in in New York?
0: I mean, that, I'll save you the whole long story, but I thought I was going to be doing, I thought I was on track to be doing stuff more with computers and graphics and 3D and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then I shed that path in the early to mid 2000s and bought a very derelict and inexpensive property up in New York State near Ithaca in 2005 and started planting like a wild person there. Um, and then, you know, it took me about five to 10 years to really start honing in and focusing what it was that I was trying to do and actually, you know, f- learn about the ideas of permaculture and food forests and have these wrappers of concepts that other folks have uh, developed and realized, you know, I, I could refine and go go better, go deeper with what I'm trying to do.
1: When you first started planting, planting like a wild man there, did you have did you have a plan? Did you have an idea Were you just sticking stuff in the ground and seeing what would happen? How are you learning? How are you figuring things out? Or was it just, um, you know, chance?
0: I think it was, and I think this is an important note to share because now that I've been doing it for 15 years, it seems, you know, some of the videos that I put forward, we try to be really clear that we're always learning and figuring out as we go along, but in, a um, you know, it might seem like I know what I'm doing, but the reality is, it it is uh, to some extent. You know, okay, I I just got these ten serviceberry for you know real cheap on clearance. Well, let me let me plant them over here and see what they do, and and hope for the best. And I think a little bit more than anything, when in doubt, it was about planting as though I was uh, an a creature, like an animal, like which is what I am and not getting all stuck into the idea that I'm a human that's supposed to do things a certain way. Uh, and it's just like how squirrels will plant nuts. It seems pretty random, but maybe there's some intuition in there and birds will poop out seeds and that turns into things. So why not also plant like that? And, um, I've since learned there's some value in thinking things through a bit, you know, the chestnut two feet from the house. Okay. That's, that's (laughs) avoidable, but, uh, But, but to give yourself the latitude to start planting without saying it has to be the perfect, exactly right design, you know, the grand master plan before anything happens, uh, can really give paralysis to actually learning, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It definitely can. I know I've, I've been there. Um, I think too, and I'm curious, I think it kind of can cut both ways sometimes. Cause you know, like you said with a chestnut tree here, like, you know, um, kind of where where we are if you you know i, I put up a, a goat pasture or would try to put up a few fruit trees in places and then we decided that oh that'd be a great place for a pasture later because it's you know the way it sits and everything um so i think sometimes you can get like ahead of yourself and then realize like oh man i, I should have you know at least thought a little bit through um and it's it's it can be tricky because i have definitely <laughs> done both things where i'm like man
0: yeah And that that leads me to a a thing that I wanted to share is that I think if if the way you get involved in perennial plants, like let's say for example, apple tree, you know, to use the chestnut example, the chestnut, um, if if you are an end consumer of somebody else's growth of the chestnut, then every time you make those experiments or mistakes or what have you, it might cost you ten or twelve or twenty-five dollars. And so then being that loose with it can be very very costly and so what i encourage folks and this is a major major drive with the whole channel is to feel like it's worthwhile empowering yourself to learn how to grow plants from cuttings and from seeds and from divisions and so then if you find a nice chestnut tree near where you live and you collect a hundred nuts and you're able to grow 30 of them successfully you can experiment and if 25 of those ultimately have to be cut down because they were in the wrong spot you're left with five chestnuts and that might be all the nuts your family would ever need for the rest of your life and it's then it then it liberates you to really experiment and not feel like that was a thousand dollar mistake you know that right. kind of thing
1: yeah that's and that's something because we've oh man where I, where i am um people listen would notice like, um, like it's, I, I'm in Georgia on the fall line where, you know, it used to be the edge of the ocean. And so it's either sand or it's clay and trying to get like trees to grow, um, fruit trees and stuff. It's just been really, really difficult and we've lost a lot of them. Um, so it's always, you know, just this experimenting and, and seeing what works and trying to figure it out. Um, something with Going off of that that chestnut um analogy and collecting nuts and and stuff like that do are are nut trees the same as fruit trees and that um you know when I go to the store and i, I buy a uh pecan whip there um you know sometimes it, like that the pear trees will be grafted are the nut trees the same or are they like true to form or true to self there where they'll they'll actually look like a parent
0: um it's a mix. You know, you you can grow seedling pear trees. You can grow seedling chestnuts, and then there are also options of getting grafted. Uh, I think nut trees, by and large, are less often a grafted form, but there's certainly lots and lots of those options out there. And that you know that goes down the road of of a bit more advanced and a bit more costly, a little less you know DIY style that's where you do want to spend the time and think through like okay right. that's that's 40 bucks let's figure out exactly where that's going to be you know
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 all right so we'll, we'll go back now and i'm I'm curious when you started planting were you planting um was it like an annual garden type stuff or did you just jump straight into to perennials
0: i i've always had uh, so we we grow both sasha and i grow both annuals and perennials at you know purely flowers and purely food and all the in-betweens. And um, But I would say my affinity has always been more in the realm of what is very, very hardy. You know, we're in, a, we're in a colder climate here. We're not mm-hmm. nearly as cold as some areas, but we're zone 5B, so we can get to negative 20, you know, Fahrenheit or colder. Um, and the idea of plants that we can get food and medicine from that reliably come back no matter what the winter does has always been very compelling to me. And so that's that's definitely my number one focus. And as a nursery, that's exclusively what we offer our cold hardy tested perennial plants.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think we'll we'll get into that your your nursery there that you guys have, because I know you have a bazillion plants that are that are on that list. Um and some of them I, I was I was kind of surprised to see them. Um I think because I just I wasn't I don't know if I wasn't aware that they could grow up that far North or wasn't, um, I don't know, just, just surprised. So, um, when did you start doing that? When did you start selling trees or offering, um, things out of a a nursery?
0: Yeah, it wasn't it to, it wasn't what the plan was initially. It's not as though it's very divergent, but it, it, I wasn't going into planting all these different trees and, you know, fruits and those sorts of things with the idea of, ooh, that's how I'm going to make my living. Um, The story I normally share with folks without making it a long one is, basically, I I planted so many different plants all over the place that they started to really encroach and make it hard to even get through pathways. And so I found myself at one point, pulling out some um, raspberry plants just so I could simply Mm -hmm. get through a garden. And it was a few days later, somebody I said, Hey, do you ever sell plants? And I was like, well, what are you looking for? And they said raspberries. And it kind of made the connection that yes, now I'm a nursery. Um, And so it, it facilitates, you know, okay, I I want to always be collecting all these new plants and having them grow in these wild ways. And every fall and every spring now we go through and in a vaguely similar way, basically dig our way back to having paths and access and then that's our inventory and we figure out you know those excess quote-unquote plants how they can find new homes where they can become you know filling out landscape so much that those folks then have to dig them up and share them with folks
1: Mm -hmm. and do you you find that varieties matter when you're looking at um uh more of a permaculture type thing um does are some some varieties better suited to kind of filling voids and and taking over space than than other varieties of of stuff, or how specific do you have to be when you get there?
0: When you say variety, do you mean like species of plants, or within a given species?
1: Just a, overall, general, like different species. You know, like different uh, one raspberry is better than another, or uh, you know, different. Um, I don't know. Blueberries are better at propagating, or. or Something, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like I wonder sometimes if, cause you go out, I go out in the woods, right? I go out in our, our field, um, and there's tons of blackberries. Um, and so, you know, we've done well with those, those wild bushes. But sometimes when I get, you know, stuff from the store, uh, it, it doesn't do so well and it doesn't spread as well. And so I was just, I was wondering if you found that some, some things are hardier or more inclined to spread than, uh,
0: Yeah, there's, I mean, there's such a, there's to answer that question in a full ways, it would be nearly impossible. (laughs) There's just so much diversity of form. But to yes, and, and what you mentioned, I think is a really great point that wherever you live, spending that time in the wild spaces, or the less managed spaces, like what what happens in the hedgerows next to the farm field, or what happens in the early forests, after people stop brush hogging or mowing an area? And what are are those cast of characters that are occupying and reclaiming that space? And what sort of analogs? Like, Are you either happy to say, hey, those blackberries we find in that field, they're they're spreading all over the place. Let's just work with those. Let's in the fall or the spring, dig up some of the tip layers or the runners and bring that that wild character back to our space because we know they work around here. Uh, Or a similar picture is, well, who else in the blackberry realm? Is it black cap raspberry? Is it, you know, thornless blackberry, different varietals within that particular species? So, you know, you've seen the wild one do the best there. So are there analogs that are a little bit more cultivated and and fancy that would also work? And that that gets a little little more questionable because, yeah, maybe the thornless blackberry is not as hardy, but... Um, but that's a lot of what we do is like, what's happening in the hedgerows and and how do we mimic those patterns of, oh, I see a grape, you know, climbing up through a young maple tree. So can we plant uh, a a certain, like a seedless grape to climb up a walnut tree? Like, what are the patterns that we can mimic? Um, but by and large, yeah, it's, it's the plant types will tell you the picture of how readily they spread. You know, it's the, the sugar maple isn't going to make a whole colony of itself, but a poplar tree will. And you can kind of see that in the wild and then interpret that for your own garden.
1: Yeah. Did you, when you started, how long did it take you to kind of figure that out that, that paying attention to your, your natural surroundings and and kind of mimicking that um, when did that come into play in your, system
0: i think my whole life and i'm just barely okay. getting started <laughs> so it's it's just something to i think to to acknowledge the extremely high value of looking at you know when i drive i drive i tend to drive very slowly or prefer to be a passenger so i can just be seeing all the there's just unlimited information that can come at you about what's happening with plants if you're if you're interested in that you know
1: yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's wild. Like when you actually stop and and pay attention, um, this is total tangent, but like when I, when my son was born, he used to, yeah, he has to carry him everywhere. He just liked to walk everywhere. Um, so like, okay, let's, let's figure out birds here. Birds are cool. Well, my son liked to scream a lot. So the birds would fly away. So I started getting into mushrooms and foraging for mushrooms. And like, when you like, you don't realize what is out there until you pay attention. Whether it's you know this little toadstool and all its relationships with the trees and the the surrounding environments, or what it is like, you don't realize how interconnected everything it really um, is until you pay attention. It's uh, I don't know something. I think everybody should just try to take take note of their surroundings a little bit more, and I think you'd be be amazed. But
0: yeah, there's not only do you learn so much, but it also helps remind us that we're part of something that's pretty, that that we're both a very small, we're, we're smaller and less meaningful necessarily to the whole picture, but we're also part of it. And that there's just a lot of good um, emotional and mental health to be had from reminding yourself that you're part of something way, way bigger than you that is is also not, hidden like there's nothing secretive about people i think ascribe the value of you know the secret side of nature but nature's very transparent but it's it's up to you to to actually focus your lens and quiet down and 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 get into it you know
1: yeah for sure and and that's what like it it was like and i i had always been outside you know i was just like a an outdoors kid and it wasn't until i really stopped and kind of thought about things again that i was just found even even deeper um into it but so kind of curious is there is there a difference between permaculture and and a food forest
0: well sure
1: what what would you say
0: (laughs) yeah so yeah it's good to it's good to actually put give give something more meaningful than just these these terms right so permaculture it it's almost a little cheesy to use it in a way because it's it's a name that was coined by someone back in the you know seventies or so, this fellow Bill Mollison from down in Tasmania, but it's it is and he's he's just like, I am another white guy practicing something that has been practiced by indigenous folks and women and people of color across the globe for you know thousands and thousands of years like it's it's the people's idea of how to interact with nature basically it. It's how do you how do we look at the patterns and the interactions that are happening in nature and and figure out how we can mimic them to meet our needs and do so in ways that are gentle enough that it actually can last a while that so it can be a, a permanent agriculture something that not just sustainable not just like okay how do we how do we kind of keep it the way it is but actually improve and regenerate and and deepen resiliency and health for humans and then animals and then also plants and trees and um, you know the whole ecosystems around us it it encompasses a very wide range and it zooms all the way out to communities and things like that Um, so it's a big uh, ethical framework permaculture and then a food forest is one of the many different uh, valuable systems that you can work with within that ethics of permaculture to grow more food where you are. And that's, again, mimicking the hedgerows and the natural systems and saying, well, instead of a garden being, you know, four foot by a 100 foot and exactly straight and all that, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But can you have apple trees that are in there that have, you know, your peas and cucumbers growing up into the apples? And can there be mints and sprawling perennial ground covers and you know cane fruit and currants and things that are enjoy the shade of that apple In in other words eat like three sisters with corn beans and squash every plant has its aspects that it consumes and the aspects that it produces and how can more perennial plants interact with all of that so it can get very complex but it's also basically saying you know, plant trees, vines, and shrubs all together.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right. I like that. I like that. I like that it's, it's, um, and it's not something that you can just, it, or well, I, I don't think that it is, but I, it's not something you can just let go, is it? I mean, like, you do have to kind of pay some attention to this, to these things, right? Like a, a food forest. Or can you just let it go willy-nilly and it will still do its thing?
0: Well, you can absolutely just let it go, but it and it will kind of do its thing, but its thing will probably almost certainly be different than what you would hope its thing would be. Uh-huh. Um so <laughs> I think I think permaculture as an overarching concept has gotten the wrong picture attached to it. There's a phrase or there's like a catchphrase that people use saying the the designer is the recliner, as in if you make a perfect permaculture design and and the perfect system, you set it in motion and then dot, 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 you come back and there's just food prepared for you in bowls all over the place. And it's it really is a constant push and pull and interaction. Um, at least maybe I'm doing it wrong, but I've only found that I constantly have to kind of cut things back and manage and this and that. But but I'm not. I'm not coming in with irrigation or fertilizer or tillage or all of the intense toil and struggle that, uh, that a lot of agricultural systems have. It's mainly that I'm coming in and kind of pruning my way through the overabundance of these diverse perennial plants so that I can harvest what I'm looking for. And they're all producing mulch and fertility and soil protection for each other. And they're all there and bigger the next year. It's just a bit more wild
1: yeah, yeah. That, that, that makes sense that's what i would imagine so you i know you, we mentioned it briefly but uh you have your nursery um how how much do you guys move do you do you move a lot of trees do you move a lot of product
0: yeah well it's the thing is we've we've reached our the the ceiling of our limiting factor and it's, it's another idea with permaculture is the concept of limiting factor which in our modern society almost never applies to like a capital, a capitalist picture. So, you know, we're a business and our ceiling is that for the two of us, we can't really keep up with the demand that there is for the plant. So uh, we open up for sales in the fall and then again in the spring. And I think because of the number of folks that are excited about what we do on YouTube or, you know, that those different social venues that, anything we can grow and anything we can sell seems to sell out. And it's, it's amazing. And also like, okay, cool. That Our business is at the biggest it's going to be. We don't, what we don't want to do is start going down the route of like, well, let's expand and get more land and start growing at a bigger scale. I think the ethics start to shed when you scale up a business. Um, But yeah, it's, it's pretty wonderful. It's, it's many hundreds, if not thousands of trees and shrubs and, you know, hardy perennial foods and medicines leave our little, our little dingy garage each fall and spring (laughs) and land all across the US. And then hopefully people get the plants and never order those plants from us again. And wherever they live, they figure out how to take cuttings from currants and share them or sell them with neighbors and like take seeds from Turkish rocket and, and sow them in a wild public space. So there's more perennial broccoli growing for people and um, refilling the landscape with, with food, wherever they are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's wild. How much, how much we, like downtown, they just put in a new little, like, I don't know, community place and there's a couple of big sidewalks and there's a, a little fountain kind of water thing. And, uh, they did, they did put some rosemary in, um, good. Yeah. but like there's all these other plants that, that who knows how much they paid for them to put them in and yeah, maybe they look good, but like there's so many other things out there that you could have put in there that would have had this other beneficial use, um, to people. And, and it's, I think, I don't know if people don't realize what's out there um, or if it's just something that, you know, nobody thinks twice about or what, but it's, uh, I don't know. I always see manicured like landscape that is just, you know, looks good. And I'm like, man, (laughs) you could totally do something else with that. It would look good and taste good too. But
0: I, yeah, there's, I can't, I, I don't know that I can get my head around where the thinking is, I, I see it the same thing you just described over and over again where there's a new space that is is converted over and it's then it's planted. At least it's planted around here. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like all concrete. <laughs> but it's always, you know, with or very often with the bleached or the um the painted mulches and you, mm-hmm. it's even if there were elements that were technically edible, you'd be hard pressed to want to eat them because of all the weird stuff that's in there. There's I It's something that we all need to decide that we need to be vocal about and shed is that there's this picture in our society that food is something that happens away from us and then it comes to us and we buy it and it's in a package or it's it's at the restaurant. And the idea of the food being something that actually is right where we live and right on the trees as we walk by there's something like societally embarrassing or wrong or dirty about that maybe. Yeah. And I think all it takes is more and more people putting food right where they live. And as people walk by, they can see you eating the the raspberries right off of the plant or picking apples from your yard and sharing with them and reminding people, because I don't think it's that, that buried that deep in, it just needs to be people seeing more examples of it, that food can be, where you actually are not, you know, shipped from California right. by folks that don't have good working conditions or all over the globe. And um, I, I don't know. I, I think we have the right to actually plant food in public spaces just like a squirrel does. And just like a bird does. So maybe that park gets some current cuttings this fall. Who knows?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Right. I mean, like you have all these places and I, I think, some people more and more are, are putting things out there. Um, and it is, it's it's a weird sensation when you're out, you know, foraging for things sometimes. And cause I remember in, in New York, yeah, I used to stop and take some asparagus. Yeah, it used to grow all over on the sides of the road. And um, we actually dug some up for a little while and, and planted it back at our house. And, um, you know, my parents have a nice asparagus bed now, uh, you know, but it just, it seems so strange and so like like you said, almost dirty or there's something about it. There's this stigma around like free food or something. That just, it's like, no, this is, this is what's good. This is what's like local and right and healthier for you. But anyway, um, yeah. so you, your, your website there, uh, edwoolacres.org, um, you guys are on YouTube. You have all your, your trees listed on there. Um, if I went to order something from you, I'm down here in Georgia, uh, are, is there are there things on there that if I try to order, you'd be like, ah, I don't know if this is such a good idea for you down there. It might be, it needs it needs a little more cold or do you, do you give people any suggestions and stuff like that?
0: That's, that's sometimes, that's a little harder for us. You know, what, what I, what I try to do is be very clear that for any folks that are in similar climates to ours, I can share notes for days and they, right. because that's what we have. But, anything other than our climate, uh, it's really about what I would encourage is well, first do some research. Is it, does it feel like it's reasonable in your warmer climate as a foundation and then get a tiny bit of that plant and see what it does for you? Uh, and if it does okay. So a lot of times what we'll do, you know, like we ordered as an example, mioga ginger, which is a, a pretty neat, perennial ginger that wasn't supposed to be hardy for our area and so when I first got it it was expensive and I coddled it I put it in a high tunnel and was very very careful we watered it kept it labeled and all that (laughs) when it proved that okay it can do that how do we divide it how do we expand it and we did that a little bit and then we put it in a few spots partial shade full sun wetter spot drier spot it worked in all of those okay you know you basically you learn If you can get a little bit of a plant at first and then learn to propagate it, you can experiment and within two or three years have extensive notes to share with others about what that plant can do where you live. And you can be a valuable resource of both information and also plant genetics for your community. Um, And that's something we've come to is that the last thing I would ever want to do as a permaculture nursery is try to hoard the attention or interest in the plants we grow and say, well, we're sold out of of chestnuts or we're sold out of persimmons, wait till next year and then order persimmons from us. Instead, I'd say here's, so like on our website, if you go to the, the purchase page, we're sold out of almost everything right now. And so what I'd encourage people to do, there's a link there that actually lists a whole bunch of other nurseries that grow awesome plants. And so, for example, there's Silver Run Forest Farm that's down in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and those would be folks that I'd encourage you to check out because you're in Georgia. They're gonna the plants they have are gonna be way closer and more appropriate to your region, um, and so that's the that's the deal. Is like who has ethical, small-scale perennial nurseries that are ideally bike riding distance but you know at least a few hours drive or in a similar region to you Um, and for anyone listening to this maybe you're the permaculture nursery of the future for the community that's within an hour's drive of where you live and you can start mapping out the plants that do incredibly well for your county in eastern Oklahoma or northern California or wherever you may live you know
1: yeah yeah I think um that's that's a big thing. I think when you think local and really like you know we said what what do I see in in nature? What's growing around here? Um, you know, and and as much as I want to get a bunch of sugar maples going down here, um, it's probably not not a good idea. You know, um, and and really, you know, it's like I don't know saving vegetable seeds and stuff you know the the stuff that grows in your local region that's saved from that area is probably going to grow a lot better than something you get from half the country away and I, you know saved from a totally different climate and i think it's a, the same thing with perennials um a couple of things before i let you go i know you um you don't just sell uh your your as a as a nursery you do offer some some other stuff there um are you going to Talk about that real quick and tell us where to go find you on, on YouTube or, or anything else you want to tell sure. us about.
0: Well, chances are you'll probably stumble across Edible Acres on YouTube if you search for like chicken composting or sees, you know, cheap greenhouses, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, you could you could go on YouTube, Edible Acres. If you search for us, you'll find the channel and we encourage you to check it out and subscribe if you like it. Um, that community has been growing a lot. It's, it's pretty wonderful how robust and rich the comment sections are. Like it's one of the few channels I've found where it's just like, everyone's polite and thoughtful. And, <laughs> and I learned so much from all the ideas that people put out. So thank you everyone who does that. Um, and yeah, I mean, we do, we do consultation and that kind of thing or, or remote support to folks, but, um, so people can find that out on the website um and i guess one other thing would be if you're interested in the concept of permaculture and finding community or or having really like rich deep conversations about these different topics uh there's a website called permies.com and the person who put it together i'm not an absolute huge fan of but the community that is there the forums the discussion quality is is incredibly great and so if you're interested in you know guilds around a black walnut or, or waterways and how to seal ponds with pigs and all these different fun you know going deep dive stuff with permaculture concepts uh, com has been a really great resource i thought
1: i'll uh, i'll see if i can remember to put that in the show notes i should i should i'll write that down right now <laughs> but uh all right man I, I appreciate your time and um yeah best uh best of luck to you i i love the the ideas and and what you're doing it's um needs to be more of that happening all over the place so
0: well thank you and uh, this has been a lovely interview you've got a great style and a lot of wonderful questions and it felt like a very comfortable and rich conversation it was, re- it was rewarding for me so thank you
1: <laughs> not a problem am I? All right, you guys, back. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. It was an early morning conversation, so it uh, took me a little bit to, to kind of wake up, but uh, you do what you got to do. And uh, thank you guys for coming back, for checking in for the first time. Either way, I appreciate your little ear holes. Go leave a review on iTunes, hit the subscribe button, send me an email, homesteadsandhomeschools at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Uh, I said it at the end of the last show, and I'll say it again. I want to do something with this show. to, um, expand it, uh, help it mature, help it grow. Do, do something. to I don't, I don't know. It's, I feel like it's, it wants to do something. It needs to do something. And, uh, I'm open to suggestions of, of what that may be. Anyway, uh, if you have ideas for guests, I'm, I'm open to that as well. So, uh, yeah, let me know. Let me know. I like, I like feedback. Feedback's good, right? How are you supposed to grow without feedback? Hey anyway, guys, like I said, I appreciate it. Get out there, go do something good. Go be, be nice to people. Go grow something. Go educate your children. Go go do something positive. And uh, come back next week after you've gone out there. Sown those seeds of liberty so we can all reap seeds of freedom together.